We're gonna jump back into Acts, like I mentioned. Acts chapter five is where we're gonna be. And as we've been studying the book of Acts together, um, we've looked at some things that have been true about the church, um, whether it was uh, in the first century or whether it is uh, the church today. And so there are these things we've looked at that have been true, no matter whether you track back 2,000 years, and the story of Acts has helped reveal that um, to us. And so if you remember back Acts chapter 4, there's this moment when we realize, hey, people who are hearing the gospel message of Jesus for the first time react in a few different ways. And so you had those who were very much opposed to Jesus and his message, whether it was politically or culturally, um, they were very much opposed to Jesus and who he was and the message of his gospel. Then you had those who were kind of apathetic, uh, those that were, you know, heard it, um, but didn't necessarily change the way that they lived or the way that they thought. And then you had those who believed and followed Jesus. And I believe that we saw that there in Acts chapter four. We see that today and this morning. We're gonna look at another area, another facet of the church that is just as true then, just as true today as it was, as it was then. Uh, but before we dive into the story, um, I wanna lay a little bit of a foundation for us this morning. Um, and this is probably something that we should do as a church community um, from time to time, something we should probably acknowledge as a church community from time to time. The fact that there are, there are places the Lord has established, um, there are institutions that God has given us for the joy, for the flourishing, uh, for, for the hope of human beings. And so there are these institutions that God has created for our flourishing that are supposed to be life-giving, that are supposed to be safe. Um, and the reality is, uh, because of the fallenness of man, sometimes our experiences in these places are the exact opposite of what God intended. So sometimes these have been places of disappointment for you. Maybe they've been places of betrayal for you or abuse or letdown. One of these institutions, places that God has given us for the flourishing of human life is family. He's given us the gift of family and I, I would imagine you don't have to look very far or maybe even look within your own experience to realize how the fall has affected that institution that God has given us. A place that is meant for the nurturing, for the protection, for the thriving of little souls and hearts and mind is quite often the opposite. Another place that God has given us, and you may see where I'm going with this, for growth, for protection, for guidance, for your flourishing is the church. And how many of you, as you've looked at the first four chapters of Acts so far, you know, as we've studied the, the kind of the origin story of the church, this, this body of people who is just completely unified in heart and mind. I mean, everybody's getting along. There's no backbiting. There's no gossip. I mean, people are literally selling their homes, selling their property in order to provide for those that don't have anything that are in need. I mean, it describes the, this church, this body of people as uh, joyful and, and glad. How many of you would say, if I asked, show of hands, 
this, this has been your church experience. From beginning to end, like this has been how you would describe your experience in church. On the other hand, how many of you would say that your experience has been the exact opposite? That church has actually been a place of deep wounding for you. A place that you actually feel you were betrayed and, and not cared for. Maybe a place that actually made you question the existence or even the goodness of God. So this place that, that God has given us to encourage you and help you flourish in your walk with him, a place that was meant to build you up, that was meant to protect you, actually left you feeling broken and betrayed and maybe even full of doubt. First of all, I am sorry if this is or was your experience. I just repent on behalf of the church for the ways in which you were wounded, you were mistreated, you were overlooked. I like truly and deeply, like I am sorry if that was or is your experience. And I just thank God that you're here this morning, that you find yourself in this place of uh, fighting, still, still giving a chance to the God and the community that he created for us to thrive and, and grow in. Now, here, here's the reality. There are no perfect churches ever. It doesn't exist. Now, you're saying, okay, now wait on. We, we've been in the book of Acts and the Jerusalem church has really got it going on. Like Journey Church Jerusalem. I mean, things are happening here. If there's a perfect church, it's here. Well, guess what? Two whole months. That's how long it lasted. Two whole months. And we find ourselves in Acts chapter five where we're gonna be this morning. If you're new to ethos, still haven't figured out that we're not the perfect church, two months, give it two months. <laughs> we, we will probably disappoint you. We will probably let you down in some way or the other. But like I said at the beginning, there are certain things that are true about the church, whether it's 2,000 years ago or, or today, and this morning, I want to point out something that tends to creep into covenant communities of faith as they seek to pursue God, as they seek to advance the kingdom of God. This thing that so often will kind of creep in and make its way into these communities. And we're actually going to begin in Acts chapter 4, verse 36. And we're going to reread the last verse of where we left off last week. And it's important, the reason we're starting in verse 36, because this is gonna be a, an important part of the story of where we're going today in Acts chapter five. And actually, our Bibles kind of messed this up a little bit. There weren't these bold headings and verses and chapters when it was originally written. So the story would have actually been read kind of in real time all the way through. And so we'll pick up in verse 36 of chapter four. It says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Um, first of all, 
as I was reading this this week, I was just like, I'm so thankful that we don't do this whole name change thing anymore. I'm glad there are some things that are not true in the church any longer. Like, I'm already bad enough with names. We're already bad enough with names. Can you imagine, like, having to be like, John, no, wait, what do we name you again? You're Matthew? No, okay, Simon. Like, thank goodness we don't change names like they did uh, back then. But verse 36, um, it highlights what's been happening in the church, people are selling their property, they're selling their possessions in order to provide for those that are in need. I mean, the Holy Spirit has just given the church this heart of generosity. And ultimately, in the book of Acts, that's what we're after. We're, we're after the heart of what's happening here. We're not after the ac- actions, we're after the heart of what's going on. And so here you have Barnabas, he sells this plot of land. And you can just imagine he lays it down at the apostles, completely uh, unselfish moment. And just the church is like praising and thanking God. They're like, wow, God, you're so good. Like Barnabas, we just love what's happening inside of you. The spirit of God is so alive in you. And here you have this man named Ananias. And Ananias sees what's happening with Barnabas. And we continue the story Verse one in chapter five, now a man named Ananias together with his wife Sapphira also sold a piece of property. And with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, it's kind of a prophetic moment here from Peter. He says, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. Verse five, it says, when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. And three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Wrong answer. Peter said to her, you could not conspire, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are also at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Yeah, I bet great fear did seize the whole church and all who heard and saw these events. Um, Okay, here's the reality. I, I could stand up here for like five or six hours and still not fully unpack all that's happening in this story. In fact, this is one of those stories when I saw the teaching schedule, I literally have said my whole life, man, I hope I never have to preach on Ananias and Sapphira. And here we are, I'm preaching on Ananias and Sapphira, this story. And I want us to kind of hone in on something. I was surprised by what God kind of did in my heart. I came into this week thinking, how in the world am I gonna even pull something from from this and put it into a sermon? I was kind of surprised what God did in my heart and what I saw in this story. 
And the thing that I want us to hone in, like we could spend a lot of time on a lot of things. The thing that I think is important for us to see and to do battle against as the church is this drift towards hypocrisy. This drift towards hypocrisy that we see then and I think we sometimes see now. This desire for us to look better than we're actually doing. This tendency for us as human beings not to wanna show any area of weakness in our life and in our heart. This desire maybe to look further along in the journey than we actually are, more put together than we actually are. And ultimately, the the drift we sometimes will have so that our actions are not necessarily at a match with what's happening on the inward portion of our being. Do you wanna know what will happen from now until eternity when Christ comes back to get his bride? There will always be hypocrites. And in all honesty, I stand here this morning as, as one of them. This is something that we all have to battle against. There is not one of us in this room, no matter how good you think you are, no matter how much good you think you've done, that will not have to battle against this drift. And I wanna start by giving us a definition of hypocrisy. So hypocrisy is the contrivance, contrivance of false appearance of virtue and goodness while concealing real character or inclinations, especially, I love this, especially with respect to religious and moral beliefs. Okay, so essentially you're doing one thing with your actions while another thing's happening in your heart. Okay, so how does this happen? How does hypocrisy kind of creep up into our lives and into the life of the church? Now, there's a number of things that we could talk about. Like, there's a lot of things that we, we can name, but I wanna give us two kind of primary ways, two primary ways that this sneaks up into our lives and manifests. And the first one is you forget the gospel message in your own life and story. You forget the gospel message in your own life and story. How easy is it for us to look at someone else and think, my goodness, they sure need Jesus. I mean, I've probably literally said that, they need Jesus. You're right, they do need Jesus. But so do you and so do I. We forget that we are sinners in need of grace. You see, there's this baseline understanding at the beginning as a follower of Jesus. There's this baseline, okay, we are a sinner in need of God's grace. And then over time, we kind of move past it. We kind of move past it and we begin to think, oh, I'm, I'm really not as much of a sinner as I thought I was. I really don't need as much grace as I once did. And then there's this moment, you, you know, you kind of start to look around at everyone else. See, we have to remember where we began. We have to remember the gospel message over and over again. God, he meets us wherever you are. Wherever you are, he meets you. And where he meets you is is not a good place. And because of this, when we meet God in that place, we experience grace like we have never experienced grace before. When God meets us in that place, when we realize how much we are in need 
of a just, merciful, loving God. We have never experienced grace like that kind of grace. But then there's this moment, okay, you start to look around at everyone else. You see the the ways that other people are serving. You see the ways that other people are praying. You see the ways that other people are worshiping. And you start to understand the language you're supposed to use as a follower of Jesus. You know, the, the things that you're supposed to say as a Christian and the things that you're supposed to do, the actions you're supposed to take, and then you start doing the things you're supposed to do and saying the things you're supposed to say. Meanwhile, the heart hasn't quite caught up with your words and your actions. And this is where we have to be really careful. This is where I have to be really careful because this is where hypocrisy starts to creep in. When we grab a hold of certain language, we grab a hold of certain actions but we don't understand the heart of the matter. This is, a, this is another important thing for us to understand. And typically the hypocrite, including myself, will forget this. We are a people who are in process. We are people who are in process. And now maybe not only does the hypocrite forget it, but everyone around them forgets it. And you can see how this can get really scary really quick. And I want to state this clearly this morning, like we are a people in process. We are a church in process. You are a person who is in process. And we're all in different places on the journey. If you're looking forward to the day when you no longer have to repent, if you're looking forward to the day when you no longer have to confess sin, well, you're looking forward to the day that you breathe your last breath. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be all put together. Why? Because it's impossible. It's impossible. There's only one person that's ever done it, and his name is Jesus. You forget either one of these, that you are a sinner in need of God's grace, and that you are in process, you will begin to play the game of church. You will begin to do the actions when your heart hasn't quite caught up with what you're doing. And so let's reflect back upon this story here real quick. Here's what you don't see Ananias and Sapphira doing and saying. You know, you don't see Ananias and Sapphira saying, God, our hearts are greedy. God, we are in need of your touch in order to loosen the grip that we have on our wealth. Like you don't see Ananias and Sapphira saying, oh God, we love what you're doing in Barnabas. Like we love the spirit of generosity you give in Barnabas. We're greedy. Will you help us, God? Will you give us hands that are generous? It's not what we see. What do we see instead? Well, Ananias and Sapphira, they, they, they see the actions of Barnabas and they think, oh, okay, we can do that. We like what happened there. We like the results that we saw, but, but the greed that they still had in their hearts caught up with them. The area of their heart that hadn't quite caught up with their actions began to manifest itself. So they lie and they deceive. And I love, I love Peter's questions here to Ananias. He's like, Ananias, like, bro, why did you do this? What was going on here? 
Like, don't you understand that the money was yours in the first place? You, you didn't have to sell your property. You didn't have to do that. And you didn't have to give all the money to the church. Like Ananias, you, you, you could have kept some. You just, you shouldn't have deceived us. You shouldn't have lied about it. And we tend to, to walk in hypocrisy when we forget what the gospel has already said about us, that we are sinners in need of God's grace. We forget that God met us where we were, that he pulled us out of the pit, and that he declared us righteous by the blood of Jesus. So what leads us out of hypocrisy and this, is this ongoing daily reminder that we are a people in need of God's grace and that we are a people in process. Every day, this is something we could tell ourselves. I'm in need of God's grace. I'm not a finished product. I'm a person in process. So that's number one. Number, number two, I think it's when we fail to walk in or be a part of genuine, real, biblical community. So these are the places where we reveal our true self, where we reveal our true heart where we reveal the things that are going on in our life because being private about our faith and our struggles is not helpful for anyone. I just wanna state this. Doubt and struggle should not be viewed as weakness among the people of God. And yet so often, the place where we feel like we can't be our most real self is with the people of God. That is a work of the enemy and that is a lie straight from hell. Struggle and doubt should be viewed as parts of the journey, not things that are separate from our journey of faith. Hear me say this. It is okay to not be okay. Church, like, it's okay to not be okay. Now, it's not okay to stay there, but how are we gonna move from that place if no one actually knows where we are? We should be freed up to say, I'm struggling to believe that God is good. We should be freed up to say, man, alcohol has this grip on my life that I don't want it to have. We should be freed up to say, I am really struggling with lust in a way that I don't want anybody else to know. We should be freed up to say, man, this area of my faith, it is weak. I need help. If the disciples had to say, God help us in our unbelief, <laughs> what makes us think that we, as followers of Jesus, aren't gonna need to say, God help us with our unbelief? We are so good at disguising who we really are, me being one of them. So, so good at disguising how we are and who we are. And social media, I think, has made us experts at this, right? And I believe it starts to kind of carry over into our real lives. Now, here, here at Ethos, like we don't wear our Sunday best necessarily, but we can sure put a smile on and we can say the right things and do the right things and avoid letting people know how, how we're really doing. Keila and I found out the other day, just a, a couple, no one here was just struggling in their marriage. And we had this conversation, we're like, from all the external things that were going on in our life, everything we see on Facebook, 
we would have never thought that that was happening with, with them. But the reality is, is we've trained ourselves and equipped ourselves to put this mask on and put these walls up to not really reveal what's happening on the inside. And I wanna give us a couple just scriptures here, a couple handles to kind of know what to do with this, how to, how to walk, walk in this place of authenticity. And the first one is Hebrews chapter three, verse 13. Throw that up on the screen. That way we can all read it together. This is Hebrews chapter three, verse 13. It says, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Okay, in order to be able to truly and really encourage one another, we have to actually know one another. How can we be encouraged in our weakness? How can we not be deceived if people don't actually know what our weaknesses are? That's Hebrews chapter three, verse 13. Let's put up Proverbs 27, 17. You may have heard this before, but as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And I love this verse, but I, I also know the reality of this verse. And I wanna just ask, do you have people in your life that will tell you the truth about yourself? Here, here's the thing about iron that's sharpened. It takes a lot of heat and a lot of hammering. The process in and of itself is not a very beautiful process, but what comes out on the other end is something beautiful. Now, let's be honest, like this kind of relationship and community is a beautiful thing, but it's hard to come by, right? See, we can fellowship like crazy, but getting down on a heart level, like sometimes that's, that's, a, that's, a, little more, that's a little more difficult. This isn't something that comes easy. I'm not saying it is easy. It's something that we have to fight for, but I believe it is worth fighting for. You see, we're, we're so quick and we're so equipped to keep our outside struggles hidden, to keep our struggles quiet. And it's, it's as though no one else struggles. It's as though no one else battles around us when the reality is we know that everybody else struggles. We kind of have to repent of this facade and repent of trying to act like more than we are, me included. So how do we battle this drift towards hypocrisy? How do we fight for authentic, authentic relationships with one another rooted in Christ? I think we have to be on our guard. We have to be on our guard and we have to preach the gospel to ourselves on a regular basis. We have to remember that we are a people in process. We can't try to be more than who we actually are. And this requires us to be both vulnerable and honest with ourselves and the community around us. Here's the reality, each morning, whether you know it or not, this is something we do as a community. Every morning that we gather as a church family, we walk to the table this communion table, this table where we, where we meet Jesus. This cup represents his blood and his body 
on the cross. The reality is each and every one of us were outed on the cross, that we indeed are sinners in need of grace. So every morning we, we stand up and we go to the table. It's this, it's this place of saying, hey, I'm not perfect. I, I am a sinner in need of God's grace. And we don't just take this communion by ourselves. We do this intentionally. We wanna create this space where you don't have to put on the facade, where you don't have to pretend to be farther along in the journey than you actually are. Because in Jesus, in Jesus Christ alone are we saved. And that's true for each and every one of us. So this morning, I wanna invite us as we go to the table to kind of center our time around two questions. Two questions I wanna invite us to kind of contemplate and wrestle with is, do I give myself and others grace for being people in process? Do I give myself, that's important, but maybe more importantly, do I give others grace for being in process? And number two, are there people in my life that know the real me? Do you have those people in your life that, that know your past, your present, your future, that know your heart, that know your mind, that, that know the, the dreams that God is putting there, to know the struggles that you wrestle with? Like, do you have those people? And I'll just say this, if not, like, we, we wanna be those people. Let's not just come together on Sundays and Wednesdays, but may we be there for one another in such a way where people can let down their guard and be them true selves. So I wanna invite us all to stand. Let's head to the table uh, together. I'm gonna pray for us as we head to the table this morning. I wanna invite us to, to pray for this, to ask God to do this, and then to be this for one another. Not just pray it, not just ask God to do this, but to be this community for one another as we head to the table together. Father, we, we're so grateful um, that, that in you, um, in you, uh, we do not have to be anything other than who we really are. Um, God, there's no question um, your love for us. That is just, evident with Jesus on the cross. And I just ask that if there are people in this room that, that need to just be um, real this morning, that just need to be honest this morning, uh, that, that they would feel the freedom in you, Christ, to do that. Knowing that we're all on a level playing field. We, we are all in need of your grace, God. God, I ask, I thank you for the places that you are doing this. I thank you for the, the real places of vulnerability that, that are here uh, within our church body and family. And I just ask for more because I know just life and freedom comes uh, when we bring things into the light. So I ask that this would just be a place where your light shines this morning. This be a place where, where things that are hidden come into the light, where freedom is found for the first time. Um, Jesus, it is only by your blood um, that we can do this. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. And together as a church, we say, amen.